Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 190. I am one of your hosts, Brian Prilliman, and I'm joined tonight with Jess Dunks. Hey, this is Jess. And Broken King. Hello. Hello. How is it? Uh, before we get into the topic tonight, uh, did you guys have a good Christmas? I, I got I had, Chinese food and it was sweet. You had Chinese food for Christmas? Heck yeah, I did. Wow. It was awesome. I had I had a uh, like an actual meal with like courses and stuff. And we had the kind of meal where you have to clear the table so you can set the table for dessert again. Goodness. And it was amazing. Like wow. in your home? Yes, because, because Nicolette is just an incredible human being. And I would like to say that I helped and she would probably tell you that I helped, but I don't feel like I contributed nearly enough to that <laughs> meal. Uh, and uh, it, it, it was just so good. Um, everybody loved it. And we had, we had, uh, we had, because we have family over, right? So we had, I think we had nine or 10 people total. Uh, well, we bought a new dining room table as one of the like Christmassy things, you know, kind of a gift to ourselves thing. And uh, it fits that use. many people. Nice. Yeah, it went to great use. So, wow. Awesome. I, I uh, woke up late, played Mario Kart, and got Chinese <laughs> food. It was good. It was a good day. Oh, oh there's a four-year-old in our house. There is there is no waking up late on Christmas. Yeah, oh, no. that would do it. That's, nope, that was not a thing. There was, there was she was just like, Uncle Jess, it's Christmas. I was like, I know. <laughs> it's also 6 a.m. <laughs> yeah, it was. Well, we set it up. So we set it up with... Uh, I'm going on a tangent about Christmas now. I'm sorry, but uh, so we set it up so that, uh, in addition to like the milk and cookies thing and everything else, my uh, my sister had found. I think it was my sister had found some uh, slippers that were like elf shoes. Oh, okay, with like little bells on them. And it's so what she did is she put them next to the fireplace, like an elf leaving had dropped oh, their shoes, like okay. Cinderella hang, with hang elf on. shoes. Hang on, yeah. If anyone's listening to this with your kids. Uh, just, just might be talking about a super secret Christmas thing. So, you know, tell your, have your kids cover their ears. Cover the ears. You're late for that, friend. Earmuffs. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) anyway, elf shoes. Yeah. Yeah. So it was great. And, um, uh, we, we had a, we had a pretty good Christmas. Lots of gifts to open. Uh, you know, and we opened, uh, I got an awesome set of headphones. I'm really excited about, do y'all get anything cool for Christmas? Uh, I got, uh, we, we, our household bought a second switch. It wasn't for me exactly, but our household got a second Nintendo switch. And now we also have Alexa. Uh, and, oh, well, she heard me. Never mind, Alexa. <laughs> yeah, we have taken to, to, we have one also, we've taken to being careful to use the, the name Amazon Echo or just Echo in conversation, uh, to avoid, to avoid triggering Alexa. Uh, <laughs> what about you, Brian? Well, uh, I laughed. So, so one of the things that my daughter got for for Christmas was uh, Mario Kart, uh, <laughs> which which I may have been playing with Brogan on Christmas Eve. And then when we finished playing, I said, "Okay, I got to go wrap this and put it under the tree now." I have to go rewrap the Mario Kart, <laughs> which is just heinous. <laughs> it's a me. It's beautiful. It's a Christmas crime. It was wonderful, um, but yeah, I got a. a uh, a Raspberry Pi and uh, some some Bluetooth controllers uh, for that. Ooh, that's mm-hmm. awesome! Yes. Are you gonna uh, are you set it up for like emulation? Uh, yeah, yeah, just for cool. Nintendo games and uh, I. I just did that like last month. Yeah. So if you want to chat about it at all, Jess was mm-hmm. telling me about that. Yeah, I, it's so much fun. Uh, 
And also, I screwed some stuff up along the way. So if you if you can't if you're like this isn't working, maybe I made the same well, mistake. Well, it's it's a it's actually a replacement Raspberry Pi because I got one about three months ago. Uh, okay, and, and set it up. Uh, this one was a replacement one. This this Christmas was actually re- uh, getting replacements of all the stuff that the dog has chewed up over the last oh, year. Oh no! Your dog chewed up a Raspberry Pi. My dog chewed up a Raspberry Pi. Uh, my dog uh, ate a light bulb off the Christmas tree. And did it chew- ruin the whole rest of the lights? Uh, a good chunk of the the bottom of the Christmas tree. Um, oh. I, I think I just need to replace the bulb though. Um, but the, the bottom, yeah. Uh, so the dog actually chewed up the glass, and so oh that God. was that was a thing. Um, Is she okay? Uh, it's been a while, so like I, I checked it out, and everything seemed fine. And it's been several days, and there doesn't seem to be any badness, any dog problems. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be any dog problems, so that's a good Christmas present. Um, but yeah, uh, my my daughter got slime stuff to make slime so my kitchen looks like a, a laboratory good right now with with various um sl- slime concoctions i'm just imagining the lab from the movie flubber that uh, seems right just being your house there's there's like jars of multicolored gelatinous semi-solids yeah um, so so flubber yeah gelatinous semi-solid is kind of redundant is it uh, uh, yeah, it kind of is. Well, fine. Yeah. So <laughs> Any, anyway, anywho, anyway, anyway. So as you can tell, most most Christmas episodes that we do uh, are kind of light uh, episodes, and this one uh, we thought would, might be fun to look at. Uh, uh, on January first of twenty twenty was the first episode of Judge Cast. You mean twenty uh, ten. What did I say? 2020? 2020, yeah. yeah. The, it happened three years from now. Just wait. It happened, It'll be sweet. Oh, man. It will and then be. Some, and then Ricky Hayashi went 88 miles an hour in a DeLorean. Yes. So, <laughs> and the bad thing is I was I was looking right at the number as I said the wrong number. So, yeah. So, so January 1st, uh, 2010 uh, was the first episode of Judge's Cast. So, we are coming up on uh, near eight years of Judge Cast. Um uh, the original hosts were Ricky, Hi- Ricky Hayashi and Sean Catanese. They added Jose Bovida. Uh, then he left. Then Jess and CJ started up again. I joined. Uh, CJ left uh, and Brogan joined. So one of the things that we thought would be kind of cool is to talk about maybe like where the judge program was when Judge Cast started. And we actually have a copy of the Magic Infraction Procedure Guide from January 1st, 2010. And we figured we would just talk about it and how uh, uh, some of the wacky stuff that's in it, or at least wacky by today's standards. Yeah, that was about the time that Brian and I started judging. So we we weren't, I wouldn't say we were out judging a lot of events with that, like uh, like we weren't at Grand Prix judging a lot with it, but this is the yeah. IPG that we learned from when we first started. Because at the yep. time, this is one of those wacky things, level one judges had to know it. Yep. For what it's worth, uh, I didn't start judging until January 2014, so uh, I had I, I took the the normal old regular today's L1 test that did not the, have the, the IPG. The, uh, uh, the, the the shorter the test, shorter, if you will. The shorter that's, one. That's I'll 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 call it the shorter test. Thanks, Jess. Um, I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, 
Now it's it's uh, it's really interesting how things have changed a lot in not just the tournament but scene, but also the judge culture and magic culture. Um, but yep. like I I think this is going to be interesting to look at this old IPG because um, it's going to be a lot of kind of like oh, I remember when it was this way for for me and Brian and for Brogan it might be like oh that's crazy I can't believe it was that way and honestly but we why? might look at it and go. Why? Why was it this way? We don't know oh, why. It there, was there was there was some stuff, and and one of the weird things was the number of things that are still the same. You know, yeah. Eight years later, you know there there are infractions that are still word for word the exact same thing that they were. Like slow play is this is nearly the exact same as it was eight years ago. But now I, we're going to be talking about old infractions, and we're going to be talking about the way things were. And we're going to jump back and forth between the way things were and the way things are. Uh, this is, if you're coming to this episode and hoping to learn about the way things are right now, this is not the episode for you. We're going to be and talking. frankly, if you're in the process of learning the way things are right now, this might not be helpful for you. This might actually be problematic, depending on how much we go into it. I don't really know. Right. If, but, if, if, uh, you, if you already have a knowledge base of what things look like now, uh, you're good. You're good to go. Um, if you're trying to learn, and this may impede your learning process by teaching you things you you don't need to know, that's uh, yeah. a thing to be conscious of. So yeah. So have we have we done our due diligence of the? I think we have. We're probably going to mention it again. Probably going to mention it again. But okay. I think we've done our due diligence. So, so like, generally, uh, uh, the structure of the document was still pretty much the same, right? Like we had we had mm-hmm. the the philosophy, and then. Like definitions of stuff and then penalties, right? And that was yeah. So so let's let's just talk a little bit about like what the program was set up before we get into the oh yeah yeah docs. sure. So so that's the, also stuff we want to talk about. Oh, it is. You can tell what I care about. <laughs> so, <laughs> Jess so, has priorities here. So the first the first episode of JudgeCast, uh, from looking at the show notes, the three topics were uh, game loss penalties given at a recent Star City game Legacy Five K. So this was before this was before the open series, um, the, uh, and conflict- uh, was it before the open series? Well, it it was- might have been. It might have been at the at the uh, like a day two, like the event, the, right? the proto classic. No, it was it was. So what happened before they started their open series? Like back when Star City first started out, they were just uh-huh. they were just branded as five Ks. Okay, okay. Because uh, my oh. very first the very first event I ever worked was just a air quotes random star city 5k that happened yeah, on the west coast we didn't really have those much so I, I i wasn't familiar uh there was some it went over complex rules interactions for uh the pro tour season qualifier the format was extended oh oh extended was also before my time <laughs> so it, extended was a format that every that people only played because they had to um which, wait, why which extended was this? Was, was this like real extended or super standard extended? This was the seven, the seven years. Like it went seven. The seven. seven. Oh wow! Was it really? Uh, can I ask no. why you had to play extended? Uh, because oh yeah, no. yeah. That's that's easy. Uh, so pro tour qualifiers rotated through seasons of formats. So if you wanted to play in a pro tour qualifier for three months uh. out of the year, you had to play standard. Or four months out of the year, or whatever it was, and then the other times of the year you were playing like limited or extended or whatever other yeah. format was. I think the it, it decreed like format: one limited, one extended, and then two standard spread out throughout the year. 
Wow. Okay. Okay. Thank you for the clarification. Yeah. So it was fun watching card values go because like right before extended season, cards would get, you know, extended cards would get really expensive. And then when the extended season ended, the market would kind of uh, crash for them. No one wants these anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, and then uh, just, I don't this, I actually came in right around the end of this program or, or, or in the middle of it. There was a new DCI program to offer special foils to judges who grow Friday Night Magic. Oh, I missed that. Uh, I missed what that what was the foil? Uh, Exalted Angel? That's the morph one, right? I think that was one of them. I think you're right. Yeah, but I Cute. remember seeing that and being like, oh, man, that's awesome. I, I need to go do like an FNM thing stuff. So, you need to yeah, help I, make FNM great? Yeah, I need to go make FNM great. At, uh, well, for the first time. Um yeah, so that was that was the first episode of Judge Cast. Uh, Judge program completely different back then. Um, also, uh, there was less than twelve thousand judges in the program. Twelve thousand. There's still less than twelve thousand. Oh, sorry, twelve hundred. Yeah, twelve hundred. Shift into comp. Well, you know, in twenty twenty, it'll be twelve thousand. Right. Oh, yeah. My bad. Right. Yeah. That's what we're right. talking about. Right. 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 Um. The number of L3s that we had were less than 80. Now we're like 160, something like that. Um, pre-releases were different. Jess, did you ever work? Or, you you actually worked at Channel Fireball back in this t- this era, didn't you? Uh, no, I worked... Uh, so this was... I did not work at Channel Fireball this time. This was actually before I worked there. Uh, I became a judge in, shortly after this time that we're referring to. Uh, I, pl- I I became a judge right about the time they switched the pre-releases, but I had played in regional pre-releases, and they were just basically Grand Prix for pre-releases. You went to a big convention center, you signed up for side events, uh, or the main flight, and the main what? flights were just sixty-four person flights where you would go. You go to yeah, you go to a convention center, you oh, sign up. Great. I drove eight hours to get to a pre-release from Great Falls, Montana what? to Seattle, Washington, and had to go cascade games was running it in a big convention center and it, they did a great job of it and it was awesome. And I had a blast. Yeah. So, but it, PTOs PTOs or premier tournament organizers, uh, were able to do pre-releases and pre-releases were not, you know, go to your local store. They were large, you know, rent a ballroom out of a hotel, get a convention center, several hundred people descend on a location and it was just fire up 32, you know, fill up a 32-person flight or a 64-person flight and go. And you'd play, you know, four or five rounds. You'd prize out and you'd get into another one and go. And you could maybe do that two or three times a day. Uh, you could also do drafts at the time. Yeah, um, I did. I remember well, doing you could dra- do that was actually a draft the first time I ever drafted. Pre-release? Yeah, yeah they, they just ran drafts. And I, I, ran, I did, played in a draft at the Onslaught pre-release. And that was the first time I'd ever drafted. And, uh, and it was just this incredible experience of getting together with a bunch of people who really cared about magic. Yep. Um, and uh, I think pre-releases actually are still that way. I think moving pre-releases to local stores has been a massive net gain for the community as a whole. It, um, it has been, especially, especially when because you don't have to drive the, the six hours or the seven hours anymore to get to a regional pre-release. Right. But Exactly. Oh man, there there was just something kind of I don't know, I don't want to overly romanticize it, but just getting in a car and doing a road trip and going to the pre-release and just having making it a full day like it like just said it was a GP ish. Yeah, this this sounds great to me like regular REL GP. 
<laughs> Maybe that could be a thing. Uh, just a regular LGP. Uh, oh, please, please, please don't give people ideas. I don't want regular <laughs> LGP. People are going to start talking about that now. I mean, it was uh, it was a blast. They 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 sometimes had artists. They had uh, gunslingers. Uh, you know, but I I, I enjoyed it. Um, also, uh, another another thing that's that's changed and gotten gone more to the store level. Uh, uh, we used to instead of PPTQs, there were PTQs, um, right? Which just pro tour qualifiers. As many people as could enter, as as wanted to enter, could as long as they had the space. And you would you'd play until there was one person left, and that person won. Yep. The pro I tour. Did, I did judge those. Yep. And normally, what would happen is you would have uh, a few uh, a few pro tour qualifiers in a in a in a season in a region. So you, there'd be like. You know, in in Florida, for example, there might be one in Jacksonville, one in Miami, and one in Atlanta. Or, or actually, there'd be one in Orlando, one in Jacksonville, one in Miami, and then one in Atlanta. And they'd be... How is that different from what you said? Uh, the, I didn't say Orlando the first time. Got it. It needed the list again. Yeah. Because um, so, what, what happened was I, I remembered that Florida normally got three and Georgia got one. Uh, so... Oh... Uh. Um, so back then, uh, and they would typically get, you know, a small PTQ would be 130 players and large PTQs might be 500 players. No, they were not. There, there were some uh, in the, the mid Atlantic I would hear about, or not the mid Atlantic, the, uh, the Great Lakes area. The, the, oh, cause, PTQs, cause there weren't so many. So just people would show yeah. up. To, uh, yeah. Three, 300 ish range was relatively common, but the largest PTQ, the largest PTQs, I should say that, uh, that occurred not attached to a GP, uh, only broke, barely broke 410 players. Yeah. One of the reasons, one of the reasons they got rid of, of PTQs and went to PPTQs. And I say one of the reasons, cause there's multiple is because, the the degree of variance, like when you're a, a tournament organizer, do, do you prepare do you prepare for two hundred players or do you prepare for four hundred players? It was and it was really heavily dependent on the format too. Like you might get two hundred and fifty for standard, but when extended comes around, you you get one eighty. Yeah, or Oof. or many times it was the opposite. After they started doing modern PTQs, where standard yeah. meant I get as many, but modern we get a lot. Right. So, so that was one of the, one of the reasons was just you never really knew. So, when you were creating a judge staff, you're like, well, do I need five judges, eight judges? I don't, I don't. That's know. so scary to me. Just like the 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 variance there, and I guess that is the reason that it is that way. It's one of them, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so All right, and so, then of course so there was uh, moving on. There, well, uh, uh, there were those large PTQs, and then there were also grand prix trials that stores could run. That were uh, Brian's got it in his notes here that these were big events. These generally weren't big events. These were like 15, 20 player events mostly. Uh, uh, if it was that, for a local GP, they could they that, could have fifty players. They could, but they usually didn't. And uh, these, they weren't, these they weren't only what they went were to a year ago. Yeah, these were Grand Prix trials. And what were you going to say, Brogan? I was going to say these only officially went away within the last couple of years or so, right? Last right, but year. they effectively died when they when they introduced pro, uh, preliminary Pro Tour qualifiers. Yep. 
because nobody wanted, but now that Source could run the the, pre, the preliminary protocol qualifiers, nobody wanted to run a Grand Prix trial. Uh, and really, they effectively died even before that. They started to go downhill when they reduced the number of buys you could win, because uh, it used to be uh, just before. Grand Prix trials went away, you could get two buys winning a Grand Prix trial. But it used to be prior to that, you would win three buys at a Grand Prix by winning a Grand Prix trial in a store. Yep. And That's wild. Yeah. yeah. So I would travel significant distances uh, as, a, as a grinder playing Magic. I would travel significant distances to go to a Grand Prix trial in the middle of nowhere at some local shop because it was only going to have 12 people because I could get three buys to a So you would just go spike for three buys? Yeah. Yeah. And, and if I had the time, there's a lot of variance here, too, because he, here in Orlando, uh, I did a, a Grand Prix trial at a store for GP Dallas, and we got exactly eight players. The following week, I did a Grand Prix trial for Orlando in Orlando, and we got 72 players. Oof. And, and it that's was just, a, that's a little it, bit of a difference. Yeah, it was just me because we were expecting like 30. Uh, so that was a fun what format was it? Uh, it was... Because that was a limited GP, right? I don't remember. Oh, was this okay. Orlando 2015? Uh, no, this was no. Orlando, like, 2012, 2013, something like that. Never mind. Um, um yeah. Yeah, GPs, GPs, uh, uh, have changed a lot as well. Uh, you bring up, like, GP, local, local GP going to Orlando. Uh, your first episode, Brian, was about judge managing a GP, right? It was, uh, we, 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 I believe CJ titled it Brian Prilla Manager or something. Something like that, yeah. Uh, Brian Prilla Manager? Yes. Cute. Yeah. Our, our first episode was also about a new IP. When I say our first episode, I mean the one first one that, that CJ and I did was also about uh, an IPG update, and he titled it The Next IP Generation. Oh, gosh. <laughs> he was that's, so that's into the good. puns. He loved and it's it. great, but now it makes it so hard for me to go back and like find episodes. It's still uh, great. Okay. That's what tags are for. Uh, oh. But it was it was, it was was awesome. And so GPs uh, have changed a lot. You know, I remember going to, in 2010, I went to a GP Washington, D.C. that was run by a company called Dream Wizards. Uh, that was... Um, that that was actually in Chantilly, Virginia, which is not DC. That's that's where all of them except the the one GP DC have been, right? Uh, I don't remember when they when GP they stopped. Laser or tag? If they stopped. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. This was the only one I went to in, the, in okay. DC. But um, I went there to play, and this event had something like, like I want to say this event had sixteen or seventeen hundred players, and. And by today's standards, you're like, oh, like 16 or 1700 players. Okay, that sounds about normal. And they were completely blown out. This was the largest North American GP that had ever occurred. They were not prepared. What year did you say this was? 2010. Now, now keep in mind, there was only approximately 20 to 23 GPs a year at this time. Right. And this one was, was, uh, it was for some reason, players descended on it to play uh, uh, standard. And it wasn't even a good standard. It was Jund <laughs> standard. Jund were, and fairies. Were there just a lot of people who had the deck, so they were playing? I don't I, even know. Yeah. To be honest anyway. with you. That that was one of the crazy things where we were talking about with, with PTQs, you didn't know how many people would show up. At at GPs, you didn't know either. And you didn't have pre-registration. You could still register the morning of the GP. So if you how? got- There would be lines out the door, too. Yeah. I was going to say, how long ago 
was that commonplace. That, uh, that, that, that was, stopped around when I started judging in 2014. Yeah. Uh, 2013 was the last full year that there was not pre-registration available for uh, for the vast majority of events. Okay. Um, and it was the last full year that there was uh, Saturday registration available. Vegas 2013 really changed a lot of how we do GPs in that regard. Yeah, and there was also, there was also uh, GP Charlotte where it was – Charlotte, yeah. So, so Charlotte and Salt Lake that year as well. Yeah, 2012. So they did – so they ended up getting uh, – you know, I, I didn't look up, I didn't anticipate the conversation going down here, but uh, so I don't have the, the GP numbers, but GP Charlotte, we didn't get started until like afternoon because the line, it was the second, uh, the second time Star City had done Gold Rush, which was. Oh, gosh. Uh, so. Uh, and the first time, the first time was in Salt Lake City where the previous Salt Lake City GP had had like 400 players and this one had like 1300 Right. And so so just got... nobody had any idea. So, yeah. so what so what Gold Rush was, with your entry, what they did was they took uh, a set of it might have been it was like revised or no, it was unlimited revised uh legends, the dark Arabian Nights and Antiquities. Uh, yeah, I think the first one was just Alpha Beta Arabian Nights. Or uh, no, sorry, it was Yikes. it was Alpha Beta Unlimited Arabian Nights, right? Okay. It was it was it was really good. Yeah. And, oh, and God. so and so you got so they just sleeved those cards up individually and with your entry you got one of those. So someone in the room was getting a mock sapphire. Someone in the room was getting <laughs> a, a an underground sea. Somebody right. was getting yeah. a juice and gin. And, and if they ran out, they were like, oh. if we run out of if we get so many entries that we go through the whole set, we just start the set over. Yep. No. Yeah. And uh, and so they did that. And then what, another cool thing, I don't know if they did this in Charlotte because I wasn't there, thankfully, because that sounds like terror. It was. Uh, but I was in Salt Lake City, which was also pretty bad. And uh, one of the things they did that was really cool is they sat the judges down at the end of the event and they gave them gold rush packets. And we were like, oh, this is really awesome that we get these two because we'd been helping players all weekend. And when we opened them up, we discovered that there were actually judge foils in these gold rush packets and that Aww. they had one of, one of every judge foil in these gold rush packets that they gave out to the judges. Cute. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> that was a cool, I mean, we got the same, like, there are crappy judge foils, right? <laughs> so Right, they, some, they do some exist. People, so some people got things that they weren't too happy about and then, while, while somebody else next to you is just like, Opening up something amazing. Uh, we didn't have mana drains or anything like that at the time, so it wasn't too amazing. But it was a really awesome gesture with good value, and we, we really enjoyed that from, okay. from SUG. Uh, at the time, I would say that, that they were good about recognizing the effort that their judges put into events uh, in, in that kind of context, yeah. especially when they got blown out. So, 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 those, right, so- those events... Uh, they pretty much put an end to Saturday morning registration as a result of that, and then made moves towards online registration uh, shortly thereafter. GP Charlotte was actually the first GP I heard about my friends going to, and I was like, "Oh, this is a hot mess. Do I want to? Is it, do they really want me to be a judge?" And then I did it anyway. No, it, it was one of these things where Star City, and this is this is a, tr- a credit to them. They did so much preparation. That even though that GP was a a hot mess, the only reason it was possible, like like at the time, my my impression was Star City is the only event is the was the only organizer that could have made that event possible. Wow! Given given the the number of problems that were going on, 
we were trying to steal tables and chairs from vendors because we ran out. <laughs> I heard about that. Um, um, okay, so we're we're still talking about GPs of yore. We haven't yep. even gotten okay, to right. learning about the IPG yet. Fair point. Oh, oh so uh, speaking of learning about the IPG, as I mentioned earlier, <laughs> uh, level one judges were required to know the IPG. Um, they they had a test. The level one judge test today is a 25-question test that covers the magic tournament rules and the judging at regular REL document and the comprehensive rules of magic. Uh, the level one test when I took the level one judge exam uh, covered the uh, MTR and the comprehensive rules of magic and the IPG and both regular and competitive REL's. And also yep. was twice as many questions. And it was 50 questions long. It was basically um, – I I – I've heard people say, oh, it's like the level two test today. I don't think that's accurate. I think it covered a lot of the same material yeah. that the level two test today covers, but the level two test then and now was was significantly harder than that test yeah. because the level two test goes deeper on those subjects and the questions right. are a little bit more obscure. And, and level and level one, the tests now and then focus primarily on standard. That's true. Even uh, though they, even though those, those standards look completely different. Right. Um that that's very true. Now, uh, standard or or limited also could could have happened. Yeah. I like the two HG questions that were yeah, on my test true. were were about limited. I think yeah, two HG has has been and always will be uh, on the, on the level one test because it's so common. Yep. Despite no one ever thinking about it, those were all the I missed all of my two headed giant questions on my level one exam because nobody told me to be prepared for it. Oh no! <laughs> and uh, so that was like. I just bombed it out. I, I think I got one of them right. So maybe not all of them. But. So, so let's, oh, let's no. so when we talk about major differences with the IPG between then and now, uh, one one of the big differences talking about two headed giant was the IPG actually covered competitive REL two headed giant. That was a thing. Oh, man. Excuse me. <laughs> did yes. You, did you just throw up in your mouth a little bit? Yeah, I, it was I real think bad. I, I think it was I'm, real bad. I'm very sad. Yeah. I'm well, very, there was very a sad. There was a two headed giant pro tour. What? I'm sorry. I feel like I feel like my my role in this episode has kind of boiled down to a like color commentary in some way because I'm just like, oh, oh no, oh snap, oh. you went there. But also yeah. like, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I think I think your reaction is the same person's reaction and and a pretty good marker as to why we don't do it anymore. <laughs> well, but okay, yeah. I, there's nothing I can say here that hasn't already been said. <laughs> I, I like just you. why though. But, what all you've said is what and why and how. Yeah, that's about that's that's all I got. Uh, so to add some context, a lot of the infractions that exist in the IPG don't and the penalties don't lend themselves well to existing in a two-headed giant environment. Uh, so if you don't understand why Brogan is just going, <laughs> this is like her head exploded like it's in an old Gushers commercial. Uh, then <laughs> or that so that is scanners. why it's just. It's really bad. Um, and they've not done Two-Headed Giant Pro Tour since then, yeah. pretty much for that reason. Um, so, and yeah, it so, was uh, it was a weird one. So a few a few other things. Uh, the document that we refer to as the Judging It Regular document, the JAR, didn't exist. It was kind of, for lack of a better word, extracted out of the IPG several years ago and kind of distilled down to into its own document. Uh, and reason, it's it's like two pages long. Right. 
so we, we that was part of an effort to make because the IPG was at the time a 27 page document. It was daunting and we wanted to increase the number of level ones and you don't want to scare you know potential level ones with a 27 doc page document and saying you need to know this when 95% of the events that you're going to run don't don't need a 27 page document. There was another incentive there as well and that was that they wanted organizers to feel comfortable running events even if they didn't have a judge. And often organizers would not have access to tools that let them run events. So they wanted to create a brief document that said, hey, here's what you need to do to run your event. It's not that hard. Yep. Wasn't there also some amount of shift in the role of an L1, like the expectations in general of L1s? Yes. Uh, L1s, because they were expected to know competitive rules enforcement level stuff, it was also pretty common for level one judges to be floor judges on competitive events like the PTQs that we mentioned earlier. In fact, uh, my my second – this isn't really a fair comparison because it was a weird situation, but I went from being at a pre-release where I certified to be a judge to being being on on staff at a PTQ the next weekend – um, which is not a thing I would encourage level one judges to do no. because that that's a that's a huge jump in knowledge. But at the time, it wasn't that weird. Right. A, a level an L zero who wanted to test for level one being on staff at a 200 person PTQ was not unheard of. Right. Also, don't forget that those grand prix trials we mentioned were competitive rules enforcement level and required a level one judge to run them. Yep. Gross. So, uh, so, so yeah, there, there was this huge expectation that level one judges could run competitive rules enforcement level tournaments, and the level had less to do with the, the rules enforcement level of the tournament and more the size of tournament you were able to run and the size of staff you were able to manage. So a level two judge was expected kind of to be able to lead, to head judge with a team or to lead a team at events, uh, and the level three judges were the ones that were called on to handle the big two, 300 person plus events. So that was kind of the cultural expectation of, as far as tournaments were concerned of the levels at the time. Yep. Uh, so the other, the other stuff that the IPG did. So before the, the information for the jar was extracted, you know, the IPG handled penalties at F Yes, there were warnings and like, Formally tracked warnings at FNM back then. I miss formally tracked warnings at FNM. I wish that would come back. I know I'm in the minority opinion there. <laughs> tell, tell us more about that, Jess. I would prefer it. So I think I think one of the big problems you have at regular rules enforcement level events, uh, if they are larger, is once you go beyond mm-hmm. one person running the event, if you have a large pre-release, if you just have large FNMs at your store, if you're running events at a Grand Prix, not having penalties also means you have no way of tracking things that go wrong. So somebody can get away with the same the same um we'll call we'll be generous and call it mistake uh we'll be be generous several different times by just getting several different judges answering their call uh and nobody will converse with anybody else and nobody will know that this person has done this four or five times throughout this event and i don't like that i'm not a fan i think we should track those things uh but we did track those things and it I don't know if it was just too much overhead or it was just too official, but it it's definitely not welcoming to new players. It does feel bad to get stuff written down about you yeah. uh, on a match slip. Um, so I can yeah. understand why you would not want that at regular REL. I guess my big problem is really just regular REL events that have big prizes at Grand Prix. 
Yeah, I think we've have we talked about that one on the show before? Probably. I don't know I for so. sure that we have, but probably. Um, um, what were you gonna say? Go ahead. No, I just I I think I I I do personally like the shift. Like I can't imagine the idea of of regular REL telling somebody like that they're getting like, that they're getting a warning. It just feels mm. weird. I do right. wish there was a well, more structured way to to solve issues. Well, there but, there was there was an old thing uh, called cautions. Oh, is it a caution? Yeah, I know about caution. Right. What do you know? Do tell. Okay. What do you know about cautions? I know. I know. I know. It's a caution. I know about cautions from players wanting me to give them those instead of warnings. <laughs> I, yes, that was a thing that had never has never worked. I don't know why players think that works. Um, <laughs> yeah, they really want me to give them cautions. Yeah, I feel like I feel, I feel like uh, uh, I just watched I just watched uh, the new Star Wars movie, and and this is a spoiler free joke, but I just feel like Luke when he's just like, "Tell me what you know about the Force." Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> come on now, though. Um, huh. anyway, so we've got, we've got penalties at FNM, we've got cats and dogs living together. So, so the penalty, the, the penalties, the old penalties in the IPG, uh, well, right now we have a warning, game loss, match loss, and DQ. But back in, back in the, uh, back in the days before the Fire Nation attacked, um, there <laughs> were, there were both. There was two other penalties. There was a caution, and there was a match point penalty. Brian posted something on Facebook about match points last night, and this blew up into like a hundred comment comment thread, and I still do not understand what that means. Okay. A match point penalty? Yeah, what a match okay, so, point penalty so is. So a match point penalty is just quite simply, if I give you a match point penalty, your total score, your match score as a player goes down by one. In this tournament. Okay, so yeah. I am I am in round five. I am currently four zero. I have twelve match points. You, you get a match say, point penalty. Now you have eleven. You can take away one point. Yes. Yes. Okay. And, and, now, so philosophically, this actually works very well because yeah. uh, a game loss is is a, a, a penalty we give for certain infractions, and and uh, on its face, game losses are very uh, arbitrarily equal, it, but. The problem is that they're not. Sometimes they're extremely severe because the game loss means that I they cost me the match, right? The whole yep. match is over, And right. sometimes it doesn't mean anything because I just proceed to crush my opponent 2-0 right. anyway. So right. there's no actual penalty other than the feel bad of being told I got a game loss. Now, with a match point penalty, it's not as severe as losing an entire match. Nope. And we always apply the same harshness of penalty yeah. Uh, to to every player. Now there is the, the some argument there of well, for some players it has a bigger impact because maybe they were going to make top eight and now they're not. But it's the, it's a it's a significantly more uniform penalty. Uh, the problems are twofold. The first one is it's a really complex system for people to do, uh, and DCIR I don't think supports match point penalties uh, or at DCR. least it didn't before a certain point. The, was it version three? I think. Yeah, that's in the notes. It? DCIR DCIR three or greater. Uh, and Great. the other thing is, <laughs> match point penalties are a really significant way that an organizer can commit tournament fraud. Believe oh. it or not, because an organizer could issue a match point penalty in the software. And it would remove a match point from someone who may not notice that they that they might be missing a match point. Oh, did that? Is that something that happened a, it, a it, lot? I wouldn't say it happened constantly, but there were definitely organizers who could 
who could manipulate things and, and did manipulate things. And that was one of the ways that it was, that it was, it was rumored. Uh, yeah, it's definitely rumored. Um, and there's, even if it's not happening, there's the perception that it could, and players don't like that perception. Yeah. That's like very that real. So and I've, I, I've seen people really just dive deep on breaker math and everything to figure out if a, if an organizer somehow messed with the tournament and, uh, and they usually don't. Uh, but players, excuse me, given the opportunity or, or an idea planted, players will get very paranoid. Yeah. But really human beings in general. I shouldn't yeah, limit people, that to, well, people to, get to paranoid. Players. But, but looking, at, looking at this, so another, another when we applied match point penalties were predominantly in, uh, um, what was the, the, the phrasing? It was in single, single match or single game matches. So predominantly two at a giant. Uh, was because a, ga- oh. a game loss, a game loss, and two-headed giant is the same thing as a match loss. It's the same thing right, as a match right. loss, and right. more penalties. And this is this is another thing I want to go through here. More penalties gave game losses back then than now. Yes. So, oh. Oh, yeah, I was I was going through that, and I was like, there is, yeah, that's okay. Well, that makes uh, sense. Yeah. So, uh, match point penalties were not a thing that that came up very often because of that. Um, I think they would be a great tool to go to now uh, for yeah. for some infractions that uh, – and I can't take uh, full credit for that idea. I've definitely discussed that with the judges and other judges have come up with the idea and refined the idea uh, that, that I'm kind of discussing here. But I think a lot of a lot of the things that we currently give game losses for, uh, we could – we could move that to match point penalties in one, some form or fashion, and I think it would be fine. Yeah, I was I was looking at this. I was I was just looking at match point penalty again. And I was kind of like, well, this seems kind of cool. Yeah, it's not going to happen though. You know why? Why is that? Software update. Uh, because Walter, the tournament software used at Grand Prix, was built in an era where we didn't have match point penalties, and guess what? It can't do uh, a lot of <laughs> that, things. That makes sense. Specifically, it can't do match point penalties. Well, well, uh, War couldn't do it either. Yes, it can. Oh, it can. It has it has the functionality for match point penalties. Oh wow! So we're, oh, we're saying that you one of the one of the notes that was interesting in this IPG is it said that you had to have a DCI reporter 3.0 or greater. Uh, yeah, at this time, Wizards event reporter was not required to run tournaments. Didn't exist, I don't think. Uh, yeah, it might not have existed. If it did, it was very new. Oh, yeah. Oh. So this uh, is that's a, that's until, a piece of this puzzle I didn't know. Yeah, it wasn't until like 2012 ish, I think. That they required you to use uh, uh, Wizards of Vet Reporter, yeah. and it was a giant pain because it was so much worse than DCIR at the time. It, oh, it's gotten yeah. so much better now. People complain about it. They're like, "Oh, Wizards of Vet Reporter is so terrible." It's really not that bad. It's actually not compared to what we had uh, when it first came out, and right. it's even not that bad compared to DCIR 3.0 because, uh, or the, the older versions of DCIR because. Uh, uh, those are so complex. It's so far friendlier for newer organizers to use. Um, oh yeah, D- DCI DCIR had some had some quirks and some problems. It stands for uh, DCI reporter. By the way, if you don't know what we're talking about, no. that's what DCIR is. Yeah. So it had it had some quirks, but those quirks were generally well understood, and the workarounds for them were well understood. Like you didn't right. necessarily have these problems where like. Oh, we just got an update. It's not working. Uh, right. Turn your computer off and uninstall it. You'd say like, "Oh, it's got this problem. I know. Save the XML file off. Go edit the XML file this particular way. Reload it back into DCIR. And hey, look, your problem solved." Yeah. So I, I've heard it said that there were significantly more metaphorical landmines with DCIR, but we what knew did? where they all were. Yes. 
So, so there were there were more major issues, but everyone had everyone knew the sort of workarounds right. for them, and they didn't exactly. change. Yeah, and then and it was like they didn't change. Some of the workarounds were actually just an extra file that you had to run, uh, you know, to to make it work with sixty four bit systems or, or whatever. <laughs> okay. You know, they just like everybody had somehow, right? Um, sure. Yeah, it was really weird, but uh, yeah, that that's that's. Uh, uh, th- that shift in technology was weird because nobody wanted to stop using the thing they were familiar with. And then every time something went wrong with Wizards Event Reporter, they'd get upset. And Wizards Event Reporter also lacked a lot of the functions of DCIR. It still lacks a lot of yeah, the functions like of DCIR. Seating, I think. Uh, fixed seating is a thing that, that Wizards Event Reporter still cannot do. Uh, you've got um, all kinds of... I can't print outstanding tables. I can't. There's a ton of stuff for large tournaments that I would need that I can't do in Wizards of Event Reporter. Now, now here's a here's a neat thing about DCIR. You're, I don't know if you remember old-timey GPs, why they would split. Old-timey GPs. Old-timey <laughs> GPs. Oh, no, I love I, this. I, I love this so much. Okay. I, I remember old-timey GPs. Uh, so old-timey think, GPs, but... occasionally when, when you would get one of the massively huge GPs uh, and they would have, you know, like 2,200 players. You know, and those were pretty rare uh, back in the day. But they got... They got a little bit more common, but it was like, oh, well, why we, we've got to split the GP. And, and what that would mean is it would actually run, you know, you'd have uh, like 1,100 players on one side of the event hall and 1,100 players on the other side. And they would actually be in two separate Grand Prix. And then on day two, they would get merged together into one event. And Like how Vegas, Vegas 2015 right. was at, was four GPs? Right. Uh, now... Now here's here's and I'll, I'll give you a big hint as to what the problem was. Uh, do you ever remember on the original Zelda game, um, you could only have two hundred and fifty five rupees? No, oh. but well, that's I'll take your word for it. Uh, you could only have two hundred and fifty five because zero to two hundred. Oh, because oh, two hundred fifty six gives you a new digit. Digit. Yeah. Next. Yeah. digit. Yeah. So DCIR was similar, only it was just what was the nine hundred ninety nine tables. 999 tables. Which no. meant you could have almost 2,000 players before you had to split it. Now, they usually split it before that. Even an event that might have 1,500 players would usually get split. And there's another reason for that. And that's the speed of human scorekeepers. Because unlike Walter, where you could have multiple people entering results, DCIR did not have that capability. One human had to enter all of the results by hand. So if you the had... The speed of human scorekeepers. It's true. I know, I get it. There, it makes perfect are, sense. There were very few scorekeepers who had the capability to enter a thousand match results every round correctly mm-hmm. in, in a timely fashion. And so what they would often do is they would split it and they would, their stronger scorekeeper would get a larger section and, and the person considered the weaker scorekeeper would get a smaller section, which is also why they weren't usually split in half. That makes sense. All right. It's 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 really funny. I had I at no point did I realize ever know that that was why they would split. Like I just knew they would split, and I thought it was maybe the software would slow way down. I don't know. I had no idea. The, they, they just it can't handle that many tables. Yeah. The the other the other thing that would go in is because they had Saturday morning uh, registration and they didn't know how big it was going to be. A lot of times it was I'm better safe than sorry uh, because you you had to do work to figure out how to split it split it up and uh when they started doing like sleep-in specials and stuff like that for people with buys oh oh that would get so so weird all right so uh penalties we're probably going to do 
fast um ish uh the first one miss triggers uh there used to not really be any uh, of this uh it when the when a miss trigger happens when your opponent missed a trigger you were required to call attention to it and and then we would just put it on the stack we give the player a warning and put it on the stack and that was that, it that was regardless it. of when it was right regardless and of when it was regardless of what it was it didn't yep. matter. Just put it on the stack. Well, well, if it was a if it was a matrix, just like now, if it was a if it was a matrix, uh, you assumed it you chose happen. not to. And if it yep. had a default action when it got put on the stack, you did the default action. Those are similar. Uh, well, that part is, well, is similar to now. The default action part is different now as well. We're no longer on the the. You automatically choose the right. The, the, the opponent the opponent gets to choose which one it is. Yep. Uh, um. Okay. That changed with uh, Fabricate. Right, because Fabricate gives you a positive default action. No, no, no. The, the, the opponent gets to choose whether or not it happens and or if the default happens. Yeah, that's what I meant by which one it is. I'm sorry. Oh. Not whether not, – not, Yeah. They don't get to choose to do the other thing. I apologize. Right. So I was thinking of Kotaki where you get to do <laughs> the thing or not do the thing. Right. Which is why I said which one it is. But, but here's, here's, yeah. the, here's the key. The big giant philosophical change for all this was – uh, if you didn't call attention to your opponent's missed trigger, you were cheating. That's so bizarre yeah. to well, me. Also, also the upgrade path, right? So there was a card called Shrine of Burning Rage at kind of the end of this this era of, of missed triggers. And Shrine of Burning Rage said that at the beginning of your upkeep or whenever you cast a red spell, put a charge counter on Shrine of Burning Rage. Now, there was actually a cycle. It was one for all colors. But the red one was saw the most play. And if I forgot to put a charge counter on Shrine of Burning Rage, when I cast a red spell, my opponent could call a judge and I would get a warning. And if I did that three times in a tournament, which is very easy to do, yep. I'd start racking up game losses. Yeah. So so philosophically, we kind of decided that the, the the real penalty for that was you not getting your trigger. Well, didn't didn't game losses also... You were talking about this. The they what got worse and worse. Like it was a game loss. Like upgrades were a game loss, and oh. then it was worse stuff, and uh, then it was worse, worse stuff. At this point in 2010, yes, that that got fixed by the time period I was thinking of with Shred of Burning Rage. Uh, it had softened that, but but yes, exactly what you're describing is is it, the, the, it would uh, it would just ratchet up to disqualification eventually. Yeah, yeah, that that was as opposed to just getting like currently. Like a GRV upgrade, it's like get, warning, warning, game loss, and you go as and it just stays there. It you're not going to get more. You're yeah. not going to get a match loss. You're not going to get right DQ'd. Right, exactly. Yep. It used to it used to warning, warning, game loss, match loss, DQ. So woof. Yeah. Um. A- another neat thing was uh if you if you forgot to draw for turn, it was treated as a missed trigger. I bet. See, that goes against so much that, like, whenever somebody's like, oh, trigger, draw a card, like, at the beginning of your turn, that's that's, that's super tilting. Yep. Uh, there, yeah, it was... Well, I was I was going on to failure to reveal, but if you guys... Yeah, go ahead. It up. Go ahead. Uh, nope. So, fa- failure to... There used to be a category called failure to reveal. It was a gameplay error called failure to reveal. And what it was is, hey, I, I cast a spell that lets me go get a basic land, reveal it, put it in your hand. You... Search your library, and you just put the card straight in your hand. Uh, that was a game loss, um, and uh, and it used to. All, and again, it was this was its own. It was its own, own thing. Th- yep. Thing. 
own infraction. Yep. It got it got rolled into GRV for a while uh, as an upgrade condition. Uh, uh, and yes, where the- where the main part was for morph really at that point. Oh. Right. That was the, when I when I had that introduced to me as a thing to even take into consideration. I was like, ha ha ha, that'll never come up. Yeah. And then we got more. Well, it back. was it was framed as as an error where the opponent could not verify what it what the error was. Right. Kind of thing. So yeah, if you're supposed to search for a land and you don't reveal it and you put it in your hand, you know, it was that's going to be a game loss. Uh, now it's been that whole failure to reveal thing has kind of been rolled into well, mostly that failure to reveal thing has been rolled into GRV. I'm uh, sorry, not GRV, uh, HCE. Right, right. Hidden Card Error. And it's pretty straightforward in Hidden Card Error, I think. And it's a, it's, it's a little bit complex. There's a lot of words there, but it's a pretty elegant way of handling it compared to just, oh, you got a game loss. Yep. Yeah, you forgot to reveal for your dark confidant. You got, you, you got a game loss. It's, it's less cut and dry in exactly what's going to happen. Like, fixing it requires a little bit more finesse. Yeah. But it's not... No. But I, I think it's more optimal no. as it stands. Right. Now, now, I said it was a game loss. It was a game loss at competitive and professional. At regular, it was just a warning. Right. And oh, this, gets, this gets oh, into good. my favorite part of this RPG, which is uh, there was a graph. There's a chart, rather, in every <laughs> infraction where you'd have to, like, look, okay, what REL am I at? And then you would follow the line in that chart over to, okay, here's the penalty. Here's the, how we fix it at this REL. That's the silliest and thing. It was. <laughs> it, it is the silliest thing. It's crazy. Oh, it's wonderful. Um, it's not wonderful. And so, like, and that was that was how we did things, you know, back then. And, and, and uh, that was what I had to study to be a level one judge was this weird rubric of REL's and, yep. and what penalties were where. Uh and the, we live in a different world now. Uh, look, I'm okay with that too. Like I'm not complaining about that part. Oh no, it's it's definitely they they've streamlined. Uh, they have reduced complexity in some places. And when we talk about drawing extra cards, we'll see that they increased it in others. <laughs> yeah. So well, do you, wanna, we're, we're, do you want to talk about drawing well, extra? Yeah, cards? let's just jump to that right now. <laughs> well, uh, okay. Yeah, drawing at extra cards. So what that infraction used to be. Uh, was, hey, you, you have an extra card in your hand for some reason? Uh, at competitive or professional, that's a game loss. At regular, it was a warning. The, the, the definition is three sentences. The penalty, the, and the, the penalty description of what to do is actually pretty short, too. And, and the whole thing is, if you can't give a game loss because you're doing, like, two-headed giant or you're doing a, a regular event... Oh, oh you, you did give a match point if this was two at a giant. Oh, um, oh man, match points. Yes. My favorite. Yes. If it's called for in the Swiss portion of an event that has single game matches, um, you would just return the excess cards to the library or random cards at the identity cards not known to all players. So you just put them back uh, if it was regular or, or two at a giant. Otherwise, it was a game loss, and there's your fix right there. Um, yep. Yeah, it was It was very, you know, easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy. Um, a lot of things were game losses just because it was really hard to fix them. And then we look at HCE, which gives us a way to fix right. it without a game loss. <laughs> and that thing is ridiculous. I like yeah. HCE a lot. I think I think it's a uh, it takes practice. It takes uh, a lot of understanding and maybe some conversations. I think if you yeah. deliver an HCE ruling correctly, players really like it. If you deliver it uncertainly, players can seem very confused. Oh yeah, yeah. It's really it's really easy to. To look at if if you explain it in a an unclear way, people are just like, "Why are we doing yeah. this?" 
HCE is one of those infractions that it's very easy to intuit. It's very difficult to write that down on paper. And that's where writing it down, writing the the thing you just kind of can intuit, writing that down is weird. And and by weird, I mean just a lot of if-then statements, you know? A lot of, it's all a flowchart. Right. Uh, but yeah, so, so drawing extra cards used to be just, you have an extra card? Okay, game's over. Yep. That would also cause some weird problems. Like, there, there were decks built around trying to get your opponent to draw extra cards as well. Like, that was a thing that could occur. I didn't, I, like, I was, I, I was judging when, when, when drawing extra cards existed and also when, uh, when did, I, I'm sorry, I'm reading ahead in our notes about improper draw. When did that, like, when did Mulligan Procedure Error actually happen? Uh, well, so that ago. happened after Hidden Card Error uh, was introduced. Okay. So yeah. uh, improper drawing at start of game is a, uh, is now called Mulligan Procedure Error, as you just mentioned. And it went away briefly because when Hidden Card Error was introduced, uh, it was figured that uh, that that would kind of be lumped in. It would yeah. just be lumped in with it, and there were a couple of weird corner cases, and it was just enough different that they decided to bring it back. But when they decided to bring it back, they changed some stuff and, and made some and moved some things around. Yeah, and uh, so now it's called Mulligan Procedure Error. It just disappeared for a while and came back with a new name, like Superman in a phone booth. Yeah, yep. it's a good analogy. Um. Let's see here. Uh, GRVs, uh, we've got a few more simple fixes. They added a few of those. They've uh, modified a few of them as well. Yep. Uh, and uh, we have a diff- slightly different way of handling that with, with with how we consider whether or not to back up or use a simple fix. Uh, but otherwise, it's all pretty much stayed the same, um, except that... Did we start with a caution for those in that time period? Uh, no, you didn't. It was uh, You got a caution at FNMs. Right, 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 right. That's right. <laughs> oh, good. It was, good. It was so caution good. at FNMs, which was then subsequently upgraded to a warning. And, and I don't hate that either. The like, hey, I cautioned you about that. Next time you're going to get a warning. Now, now, they actually did have a paragraph in the philosophy section that said uh, things like, um, if, if you committed an error and you realized it right away before you could potentially gain an advantage, then you could downgrade do you remember that? Uh, yes, yes, that was, and that's that's kind of been moved into some infractions where it's appropriate if a player calls something on themselves, we might do it differently. Uh, and by yep. calling it on themselves, I mean they have to have noticed it. It can't just be my opponent noticed it and I called it on myself, right? Like I have to have observed that problem. Uh, right. But philosophically, that's pretty much always been true. Uh, let's see here. Um, failure to maintain game state is. <clears throat> is uh, almost identical to what it is now. Uh, the, the section regarding uh, when to give, uh, give double GRV as opposed to a GRV and a failure to maintain game state, that's gone through some revisions. And basically, as we've said in previous episodes, they were always trying to say, if you feel that it's both players' fault, like, like they get double GRV. And, and I, I put faults in kind of air quotes because what, what fault means has kind of changed over time. If both players were involved in the infraction. Right. And so now now it's just kind of, uh, well, if you if you think that uh, if you think that it's appropriate to give double you, GRV. I, I believe it says if both players are involved in the infraction 
or if you feel that both players are involved in the infraction. I don't think it says if you feel. No, it doesn't. You know, I'm, it I'm, just feel over, like <laughs> I'm over paraphrasing, but uh, let's see what's the. Well, thing? this is this is a thing. A lot of I see this heavily over applied, and I, I want to even though this isn't an IPG episode, I'd like to point it out. Uh, it, you, you don't get to give somebody uh, this error. A double GRB because you want to. Right. You don't give them a double GRB because. You think the player shouldn't be allowed to get away with letting their opponent get that GRV. That's why we have failure to maintain the game state. Right. Um, I think it, and just so we can kind of at least mention these, tardiness is mostly the same. Outside assistance is mostly the same. Slow play is mostly the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those haven't changed a whole lot. Uh, slow play used to explicitly mention a three-minute uh, period for pregame procedures, which I still think is a pretty good guiding line for pregame procedures. But uh, and people still love to bring it up. Yeah, all the it, time. It, it used to say that a long time ago, uh, and uh, the problem with that is that players saw that as an entitlement, and mm-hmm. judges even saw it as an entitlement. Oh, he hasn't been doing it for three You're, three minutes. I can't give a yeah, slow play. Yeah, they're warning. allowed. Yeah, and players would use it as a stalling tactic. There are less yeah. than three minutes left in the round. Oh. I don't have to do anything. Like a football team walking off the field early. Yep. And that's just not how magic works. That's stalling. Even at the time, that would have been considered stalling. Yep. Right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, fail- failure to follow official announcements. Oh, I loved the confusions that this one would cause. <laughs> yeah, what? So so basically what this infraction was, and it was a warning, is if I, if I stand up in front of the room as head judge and I make an announcement that says, everybody put your name on your deck lists. Okay. And then ye- mm-hmm. I have just made an official announcement. If I tell everyone that there is no smoking within 10 feet of the entrance of the venue, I have just made an official announcement. To I've broadcast it to a group of people, to a large group of people. Right. If you didn't do that, if you didn't put your name on your deck list, if you were outside smoking within 10 feet, you would get a warning for failure to follow official announcements. Right. This doesn't exist anymore. Oh, it doesn't exist goodness anymore. Goodness gracious. Uh, so that was a, a, a fun one. Deckless um, problem was interesting because it has its, its own section in this old IPG, right? It does. It like, used to be I don't boring mean, fractions. It's got, yeah, like, like just like Tournament Era has a section or, or whatever. It's It's got its own section. It blows my mind. Uh, and uh, it's... Why Why is that? Uh, just, be, oh, just because it's so broad and yeah, so much? Yeah, it's so much. You got different things to do uh, with like, oh, well... What do we do if they have an illegal deck list? Well, what do we do if the deck and the deck list are both legal, but they don't match? Or what do we do if there's they, they re- registered their limited pool incorrectly? Or what do we do if they lost their sideboard? There was a section for that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's totally unnecessary now. So, so there was there was no judgment allowed? None right. at all. So so two, two of these penalties, okay, lost sideboard, uh, which had no no real fix, uh was just a caution. Like at all REL's, if you lost your if you lost your sideboard, it was like, oh, too bad. Uh, don't do that again. Um, what's what's funny right, but, is, but we'd update oh. the list <laughs> uh, to have no sideboard. Yes. What, what was what was <laughs> hilarious would be though there was an upgrade path for this. So if you got your sideboard again and lost it again, it could get upgraded to a warning. No. <laughs> um. There was also the improper registration of a limited pool. This was uh, back when we did swaps uh, for limited pools, um, where um, uh, uh, this would. Well, I mean, we still do. We still do swaps, but I was thinking more of, of back when um, 
you know, you right, you got you didn't keep right, the cards right, right. you opened. But in this in this particular case, it was if someone improperly registered your pool, uh, they could get a warning. Gross. Um, which was kind of gotten rid of because you know, in, in a sense, not all warnings are created equal. Um, you know, like there's there's no there's no way this gets upgraded. Right. right? So it, it doesn't. So it was functionally not not useful right. or meaningful. Right. Right. Now, what's cool about so the two penalties of illegal deck list and deck deck list mismatch uh, in the eight years between now and then, those two infractions have merged together into one, and now they've been split back out into basically these two infractions. Yeah, I was I was commenting on that earlier. I was like, oh, they were they were all these different things, and then they were one, and now they're two again. Yeah, pretty neat. Um, let's see here. Oh, and uh, uh, if uh, if you were in two at a giant, uh, you got a match point penalty instead of game loss. Uh, so, well, again, once, uh, once more, more, just so, just so we just so you know about match points. Just so you know about match points. Um, there was a, a draft procedure violation, which is now called limited procedure violation, but it's the exact same infraction. Uh, it, it had a brief change where they actually included some some sealed pool stuff and they changed the name to from draft procedure to limited procedure and then they ended up removing the sealed stuff. So now it's the same again? It's the same again, but has a different name. It's like Lifelink. Right. You know, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's name changed, but then, well, I guess that's not it quite right analogy that's not that's not quite the it's same. not quite the same um let's see here we had uh we had player a player communication violation pcv uh pcv, PCV. Yep. yep not not communication policy violation player communication violation yep. and this this the name change believe it or not was super important because the name now it, it tells you what it is you have to violate the communication policy the name before People would just be like, "Oh, well, they didn't communicate right. That must be right. uh, a player communication po- uh, player communication right. violation yep. because they didn't use words. Somebody, somebody didn't words good, right? Someone, and and I, I remember at the very first PTQ that I had judged, uh, Matt Williams and I uh, standing over to the side having a very serious conversation as to whether or not something was PCV or not." And no, it wasn't. <laughs> um, it was nothing. But we gave that guy uh, a PCV. So random player from 2011 <laughs> at that sealed PTQ. We are sorry we gave you that PCV. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> sorry. Didn't mean to give you that. Uh, we were wrong. All right. Since we're since we're we're taking a lot of time here, what are what are some 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 good gems we can we can sneak in here at the end? Uh, let's see here. Um, oh, here's a, here's a neat thing. Uh, slow play actually had an upgrade path. Like it said, if the head judge believes that the slow play has had, you know, negatively impacted the match, they could upgrade to a game loss. Yeah, that lasted for a long what? time. Yeah, <laughs> that was actually there for a long, long time. Uh, that, that if uh, something was slow play enough that um, that it was going to be a big problem, you could give them like, you could change it to a game loss. Yeah. Interesting. But that goes along so, with so some of that. That's a lot of judgment call there. Yeah, that goes along with like the idea of significant delays in the tournament, right? That that we have now in the in the IPG where where somebody can be like, Oh, I gotta go to the bathroom before their match and they'll get a time extension as long as it's not a significant delay to the tournament. Well, this was kind right. of along those same lines where uh if somebody, for example, just got up to go do something 
uh, oh, I lost a card. I'm going to go find it. Uh, you might, it didn't tell you about it. That might merit a slow play warning. But if it took 15 minutes to find that card, that's a significant impact yeah. on the match. Okay, uh, okay. Let's see. Other, other big things. That makes sense. Uh, USC minor uh, changed. So there was, a, there was a thing in USC major that was called failing to follow a direct instruction, which is different than an official announcement. But if I told you specifically to do something and you didn't do it, that was USC major. That was a game loss. Uh, we have since moved that to USC minor. So it's a warning that gets upgraded if you do it again. Um, I think I think upgrading it if you do it again is reasonable. <laughs> so I just, think the, this got go overused. A, this got overused a lot too back in yeah. the day. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, judges on power trips. Just people being like, I don't, I don't, I don't. Well, I t- like your tone. I told you to do X, and X was not necessary. I, I, I can't necessarily come up with some examples right now. I just remember that this judges would judges would tell players to do things that really maybe they shouldn't have been telling players to do, and then right. using this as Ugh. using this as a club. Or, or they would just oh. use it to justify a harsher penalty on things. They would be like, "I told you to stop missing your triggers." Right. Gross. Uh, and that's not what that was intended for. Uh, so another interesting thing is that uh, both improperly determining a winner and bribery and wagering had the option to downgrade if you believed the player committing the infraction didn't know what they were doing was illegal. At, at regular. At, but only at regular REL, yes. Uh, did people use that a lot? I don't know. I don't I have know. no idea. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen that used. Right. In, in reading this document, I was surprised to run across that. I also was surprised okay. to run across it. Okay. That, that, was, that was sort of what I was feeling. I was like, is this something that, that was just common knowledge and people use that? Or was it like, I don't actually no, know? I think, okay. I, th- I think it either disappeared when the jar became a thing or, or before then. But... I, okay. Or maybe this was removed and like, you know, this might not actually be the version of the IPG that Jess and I learned off of. It might be like one or two versions earlier. But yeah, I think it might that be. That makes sense. Uh, right. I'm I don't ever, sure. I don't ever remember that being the case, but here it is in this IPG. Uh, it is right yeah, here in right, front of me. Right. Uh, USC, well, USC Major has changed. It's a match loss now and uh, has, mm-hmm. you know, expanded a little bit into the, the stuff that it encompasses. Yeah, there was there were some other changes as well, and and uh, some other stuff moved around. You know, uh, um, things were moved into unsporting conduct, like cheating, for example. Yeah, there were there were some infractions for cheating that didn't actually require you knowing. Yes, that, that was, was pretty cheating. common. Uh, that that uh, uh, there were some things that didn't require. That's the the one of the things we've lost from the cheating infractions by combining them all together. Uh, but overall, I think it's still pretty good. I was going to say, I think that's a fairly recent-ish philosophy clarification. Uh, well, there were some that did. Uh, right. You know, so, like, for example, uh, you know, if I uh, – I'm trying to think – I'm trying to remember which one was which at this point. But uh, fraud, for example, can't be fraud if you didn't know it. Cheating fraud can't be cheating fraud if you committed a game rule violation because you didn't know that it was a game rule. Right. Uh, okay. But on the other hand – Committing a hidden information violation, yeah, uh, was you get disqualified even if you didn't know that was against the rules, regardless so, so, yeah. of, of so knowledge. So, hidden information violation included things like peeking at what your neighbor was drafting, but it also included things like looking at face down cards that you weren't allowed to look at. 
Yeah, this actually got some comprehensive rules changed. Uh, there's a card called Clone Shell. I think it's called Clone Shell. Yes. Yes. Uh, and Clone oh, Shell, the concept. What is that? So Clone Shell required you some scars of Mirrodin, I think. Yeah, Clone Shell required face down cards. Uh, in fact, just let bear with me. I'm going to look it up real quick. Clone yep. Shell. Bearing. Yeah, bearing I got the wording. Uh, it's a two-two with imprint. When Clone Shell enters the battlefield, look at the top four cards of your library, exile one face down, put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. When Clone Shell dies, turn the exiled card face up. If it's a creature card, put it onto the battlefield under your control. Right. Now, what it okay. what it doesn't say is that you may look at that card at any time. Right. Oh, goodness gracious. So, so if I then, under the old rules that existed, if I uh, put it into play put under a clone down. shell, yep. put it face down uh, under my clone shell, and then a few minutes later go, oh, what was this? And I pick it up and look at it. I have committed an offense for which I should be disqualified from the you tournament. You are being disqualified yes. from the tournament. Uh, yep. I don't know if anyone was ever Boy. actually disqualified for that because that was a it came up as a theoretical thing. I don't know that it happened, but because of that, that was one of the reasons that the comprehensive rules. Uh, no, I think it was the comprehensive. Rules I don't think. I don't think that. I don't think the change. The the change that you're talking about is the the comprehensive oh, change a, that what? says if you were ever allowed to see it. And then yeah. that card went away. Is so, that an MTR rule? Right. Well, so no, that's actually in the comp rule. So, so the other okay, variation yeah. of this is if I'm if I'm able to put something face down, and there's another card that lets me look at it, and then that card dies or goes to goes away, leaves the battlefield. The effect that's letting me look at that card is no longer there. So if I just oh, what was that card again? And look at it, that was also hidden information violation. Now that they just changed because that. They were just like, eh, whatever. That doesn't right. need to be a GRV or anything like that. That's that's you were able to see it once. You can keep looking at, it. but this right. card specifically, nothing ever lets you look at it until that clone shell dies. Right. Hidden information yep. violation. GTFO. Yep. What? So we actually got rid of or or um, I'm trying to remember what we did. We heavily we either got rid of this infraction and kind of moved it into GRV. Or we broke it in half and moved some of it into one of the other cheating infractions. Um, okay, right. All right. Let's see here. Well, I, I, I think, uh, I think we've reached the point where it's probably time for some parting thoughts on, yeah. on the differences between the 2010 judge program and today's <laughs> judge program uh, from all perspectives: events, policy, program, whatever. Uh, and we didn't even talk about things like level four and five judges or spheres or any of that stuff. No. So there's so Those much are... more we could we could go on for a long time. But I think we should just give some parting thoughts. So let's start with Brogan, since you weren't a judge in that time period. <laughs> what what do you think? Um I think that I started judging in this like weird in-between time between this and now. Um, and there's been some growing pains in that, but I think this has actually helped to give me some perspective on uh, how things have improved. They, they, so there are certain things that may seem messier, um, but it's definitely, in general, I think, less feel-bad stuff and more fair, reasonable things in the current IPG. So, yeah, it was neat. All right, Brian, do you have any parting thoughts yeah. before we head uh, out? So Yeah, so uh, a few things. I think when we were talking about some of the penalties being game losses and stuff like that, uh, if you go back even further in time, you'll see that some penalties were DQs, like like uh, the the deckless problems. 
that used to actually be a disqualification. And I think we were at an era back in the the uh, mid early two thousands uh, where there was a lot of cheating in the game. So penalty harshness kind of reflected that because they were trying to get that under control. Um, okay, that's useful context. Yeah. So so yeah, like like submitting an improperly registered deck list was a disqualification. You're gone. Um, I think Oof. I think the program has uh, from a from a policy standpoint, it's the the document's 27 pages now. It was 27 pages then, so we've we've shifted the complexity around. Uh, I think adding making the jar breaking that out has done a great job for making uh, having a judge at FNMs at your local store a lot more accessible. Uh, the the program's gotten really really big though. It's you know five times the size it was um, eight years ago. And there's a lot of administrative overhead. There's a lot of, lot of judges that are doing projects that are, are not really related to judging. They're more on infrastructure management of the judge program, like things like the, J- the JCC didn't exist back then. Uh, you know, program coordinators didn't necessarily exist. Like Jess was saying, the roles of L4s and L5s were very... Uh, uh, very different. They were very event structured and event oriented. So uh, the the structure of the program is very very different now. You know, there's a lot more overhead involved. Uh, we had we didn't have judge apps. We had a, a DCIFamily.org. <laughs> right. Oh, DCI Family. Yes, it was called DCI Family. It was, it was awesome. Yes. Uh, and when Judge Apps was made, everybody's uh, information from DCI Family was was ported over. The, we didn't have, we didn't have forums. We had a mailing list. Oh God, oh, the mailing yeah. lists were terrible. Listserv, oh, it was awful. Somebody somebody would be trying to troubleshoot something, and they would send a ping message, and they'd get a million pong responses. All the pongs. All the pongs. Uh, uh, Jess, what are your thoughts? Oh, you know, I I was uh, I, I was going to say that the program has grown as magic has grown. I don't think it's grown as fast. Maybe not fast enough, and. Uh, but the program has grown as magic has grown. Uh, judging has matured. Tournament magic has matured. And our tournament policy has matured with it in a lot of ways. And in some ways, it's more complex. Um, I think that the barrier to entry to be a judge was significantly higher uh, eight years ago than it is today. I think it's a whole lot easier to be a judge. And I think that's true both from a what-you-need-to-know context and also from a social context if you want to just that, walk yeah. up and be, be a judge. Uh, it matters less now. I won't say it doesn't matter because I'm not that naive, but it matters less now what background you're coming from to do that. But um, it's uh, – in addition to that, though, I think we, we're having a problem now where there's a lot of training gaps in, in judging. Uh, there's a lot of mentorship gaps of taking people from interest – to level one or from level one to level two or even from level two up to level three there there are a lot of mentorship gaps so the thing i would like to see us work on as a judge program now is that mentorship is if you don't have somebody in your judge life that you if if you didn't just get started and you don't have somebody in your judge life that you're like i'm helping this person learn they may not have to have an advancement goal of like level one or level two but if you don't have somebody you're like "I'm, i'm helping this person learn find somebody and be that person helping them learn, even if it's just a player who wants to know more about the rules. I like that, Jess. That's good. That's uh, and good. it doesn't have to be reviews. I mean, I like 
uh, feedback is good. <laughs> There's way more to mentorship than just reviews. Teach people stuff. Uh, and that's kind of my thoughts on, on where the program wasn't versus where it is. I think we've started to lose some of that uh, mentorship that I feel like we had before when things felt more apprenticeship-like, if you will. I, I think I think since the program was smaller, it was a lot easier to to form those kind of connections with people. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, and I think we just need to get back to that a lot more. Um, so yeah, that's those are my two cents uh, about the judging then versus now. That was kind of big and cultural and less less uh, specific, but that's where I'm at on it. All right. Well. Uh, Thank everybody who's listening. Thank you so much for listening to episode 190, which is our funsy happy holidays episode that we do every year. Um, I've enjoyed this one. I hope that you guys have enjoyed it as well. Uh, If you are not subscribed to our podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, You can find us uh, by emailing us at judgecast at gmail.com if you have any questions you'd like us to answer rules questions or otherwise and you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast and on twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast you can find our whole archive of podcasts on judgecast.com and if you're interested in becoming a judge we also have a link up there uh, for episodes that are good to get you started on that path Uh, anybody else have something before we we sign off no sir all right. Well, my name is Jess Dunks, and I keep it fair. And I'm Bregan King, and I keep it fun. I'm Brian Prilliman, and I keep giving penalties for failing to follow official announcements. I thought you were going to give match point penalties. I also thought it was going to be match point penalties. Well, well, I mean, you know, is it? Does that count as a single? uh, It's one episode. It is one episode. Fine, match point penalty (laughs) to be assessed at your next uh, GP that is running DCIR three point oh or higher.